chapter 5, if you have your Bible, I'm thankful that not only it happened, but I'm thankful that it answers for me today. And when I stand before Jesus, it will not be about what I did, but it'll be about what He did all those years ago. And I'm hopeful that you can say the same thing today as well. John chapter 5 and verse number 1, and we'll jump right into our text this morning. John chapter 5 and verse number 1, you're probably familiar with the story in John chapter 4 when Jesus had to go into Samaria and there he met the woman at the well and he, he dealt with that situation toward the end. He, he healed uh, the nobleman's son without even going to his house and that was the second miracle that Jesus had performed in Galilee and now Jesus is returning back to Jerusalem uh, for one of the feasts that they are going to observe. And when he comes into Jerusalem, there he sees the pool of Bethesda uh, and around the pool of Bethesda there were five different porches. Uh, and here we read about the man that Jesus healed at the pool of Bethesda. If you'll look with me, verse number 1, the Bible says that after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. And whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Will thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. You know, we think about this pool of Bethesda that was there. This was not a pool like you and I would have in our minds. They did not call the pool store and come and get it set up and build a big deck where they would lay around and tan and lounge on. This was a pool uh, made of stones in different areas, but it had these different porches that were around it. Not for parties, not for socializing, not for late night entertainment, but here on these porches at the pool of Bethesda, which meant the house of kindness, were those people that had tried everything else but could find no cure for all of their diseases. The Bible tells us that on these porches there was a great multitude of people. These were the impotent folks. These were those that were lame. These were those that could not walk. These were those that had handicaps and difficulties and were disabled in some way and could not do anything for themselves, but they were hoping that one day they would be at the right place at the right time and that this angel, that what they believed and what would happen here, that they would be the first one to get in the water after it was stirred so that they could be healed of their infirmities. But only one person could get in, okay? When the waters were stirred, only one person could get there. And so large groups of people would gather there and they would be waiting for that one opportunity. And I know how you are because I'm the same way. If we were to place ourselves in Jerusalem today, and we were to place ourselves where we could see those five porches 
that were full of all of those people and they were impotent and they couldn't get around, there would be a part of us that would be tempted to turn a blind eye, right? There, there would be a part of us that would not want to look on them because we would see all of the needs and the handicaps and the, and the disabilities and well, there's nothing that we can do about that and so we would just want to walk away and in our minds we would be thankful. Have you ever seen somebody, and we say this, and I, and I don't always think it's in the right heart, but we say, see, you could be like them. You know, I know some of you say that about me and say, well, at least I'm not like him. But, you know, we, we might look at that crowd and we might say, well, I'm thankful that I'm not them. And if we're not careful, we might even look down on them, wouldn't we? We might even look down on all of those people, a bunch of, you know, disabled people they can't get around, they can't do for themselves. And we would look down on those people and say, man, how pathetic, how sad is that? I want to say, I want to tell you something this morning. We are that crowd, okay? We, we are the people that are on the porches of Bethesda that are there without any help and without able to do anything for ourselves. You say, well, preacher, I'm not like those people. Look at me, I'm doing well. I'm good. I've got everything together. Listen, those people may not represent us physically, but they are a wonderful image of the spiritual condition of us all. You see, we too are a people of defects, aren't we? You say, I get around good and I've got everything together. You are a person with a flaw today, alright? You have something that is wrong with you because I, here's what we have. We have sin all the way to the very core of who we are. We are sinners by nature. And we struggle with sin all of the time, don't we? There's a reason. There's a reason you get mad and there's a reason you get angry and there's a reason you're greedy and there's a reason you lust and there's a reason all of these sins go on. It is because we are a defected people. We are born that way. We have those flaws. Not only were they a people of defects, they were a people of desperation. Can you imagine for 38 years having an issue that you could do nothing about? For 38 years you lay around and you hope that somebody will help you, but nobody will help you. You lay around hoping that something will change, but nothing changes. Hoping that you'll be the first one in. I mean, they would do anything to get past their infirmity. You know, we're a people of desperation as well, aren't we? We get in an infirmity, we have something going on in our life. Here's what we tell ourselves. Well, I'm strong and I can handle it. Well, that sounds good the first time. Well, I'll be able to endure it. And we say that a few more times. And then we finally reach a point and we'll say, I'll do anything. I'll do anything to get past this pain that I'm going through right now. If I could just find some relief in some way. Do you know there's a reason that the commercials about alcohol and the advertisement for drugs and all of these sinful things, there's a reason that they target people that are hurting because they know that people are in desperation and they're looking for anything that will just help them in this moment to get past it. And when they get in those things and they get involved in that because I'm going to find relief. You know what it does for you? It takes you further down than where you were to begin with. But we're a people of desperation. And listen, that's not a slam on anybody else. Because I've been in those places where, man, I just, I couldn't fix it. And if there was anything that I could do, that I would do to get out of that situation. I mean, if I had to borrow money to get out of, I would do whatever it took to get out of that because we were so desperate to get past our infirmity. We too are a people of desperation, but we're also a people of disappointment. Can you imagine this man here that's 38? Look at what he says again. And just sense the tone in his voice when the Lord said, we be made whole. And here's what he said, I have no man. What a sad statement. I have nobody. I have absolutely nobody. I have no man. And when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. 
filled with disappointment? Will you be made whole every time that I've tried? Every time that I did my best to be there at the right time and the water was stirred and I'd go to get in, somebody else would step in in front of me. Somebody else would get there before I could get there. And there I would be again for another year or six months or however long it would be. But all of my hopes and all of my dreams would have been crushed in that way. I wonder this morning, can you relate to being filled with disappointment? Can you relate this morning to having your hopes up here and thinking this is about to be it? Brother Bobby, my life is about to get put back together. You know, things are things are looking in the right direction and then wham, out of nowhere, somebody steps in front of you, somebody knocks you down, and all of your hopes and all of your dreams, they are crushed again. And there you wait, filled with disappointment because you didn't get the help that you need. Things didn't go the way that you wanted today. We can relate to this disappointment. We've been there. Have you ever been in that situation where you were hoping and praying that things would work out a certain way and then they didn't work out the way that you wanted and you looked over at your friend's life and you know what happened in his life or her life? Boy, they were just climbing up the ladder, weren't they? Yet there you laid by the pool while somebody else got in, got out, got fixed and walked away. And here for another year, you get to wait in disappointment and desperation because things aren't working the way that you wanted to. You know how I know the world is full of desperation and disappointment. Did you know that the 12th leading cause of death in America is suicide? The 12th leading cause in, of death in America is suicide. 125 people commit suicide a day. That one day, every 12 minutes, somebody commits suicide in this country. That we, In this country of prosperity, in this country of freedom, in this country of entertainment. I mean, we have everything that, that, that there is, but still we see this desperation and we see this disappointment that it is the third leading cause of death among those in the age between 15 and 24. Those that are right at the, the prime time of their life, in their youth and with all of their abilities and all of these things that they have going for them. I mean, we would say today, you're 24, you haven't even experienced enough life to be sad. But they have. And they're filled with disappointment. And they're filled with desperation. You say, why is it that way? It is because the problem that we have there's no solution to that the world can give. And that's where everybody is looking for. The world, everybody is looking to the world to provide some solution to the problem of disappointment and desperation, but the world has nothing to offer. Instead, everything that the world does offer, it leads them closer to that point. And here's the sad reality. There is somebody in this room, and it might be you, and it might be me, that are near that point in our life. You say, preacher, I'd never do something like that. I would never reach that point in my life. Listen, I know people who thought they would never reach that point in their life to do something, and turns out, you know what they did? They did that in desperation, in disappointment, because there is no cure for the problem we have outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only cure. And He is the only solution. He is the only answer that there is. And people are laying around this pool and they're hoping that something that is going to go on here can fix me. I would submit to you this morning, there is nothing going on on planet earth that will help you, but Jesus can, okay? Jesus is the answer. He was then. He is now. 
and He'll be until the very day that He comes back. He'll always be the answer. And there when we look at this situation and we see these people of defects and we see these people of desperation and we see these people of disappointment, we look at them and we see all of their flaws and we see all of their problems. And then we look and we say, well, there was nobody that was there to help them. And it would be easy to be in this case and say, well, look at me. I'm in no shape to help myself. Look around. There's nobody else that's here to help me. Friend, I would encourage you this morning not to look past the one man that is able to do something for you. Because in that crowd, in that day, among all of those multitudes of impotent people that were not able to do anything for themselves, nor willing to help those that were around them, there was one man that didn't have to be there, but wanted to be there. There was one man that could have been anywhere else, but chose to be there. And that was the man, Christ Jesus. He was there for those people. And while we see men of desperation, while we see men of disappointment, while we see men of pride and of arrogance when we consider this glimpse of Jesus here's what we see we see a man of compassion a man who was going to Jerusalem for a feast that was going on but felt the need and wanted to stop by those that could do nothing for themselves and he cared for them nobody else had cared for this man I mean surely I say I'm not going to walk down here and it's just so tempting every time I get up there but I, I think about surely out of 38 years, somebody, somebody would say, I'm helping that guy, right? Surely 38 years, somebody would say, he, he hadn't been able to do something for long. I'm going to help him. Even if I have to wait another year, I'm going to help this fellow. But for 38 years, he got looked over. Nobody cared about him. Nobody helped him. And when Jesus showed up, you know which one he went to? Jesus went to the man that was in the most helpless condition for the longest amount of time. Because here's the wonderful thing about Jesus. Is Jesus cares about the very people that nobody else cares about whatsoever. The very people that we look over, the very people that we say, well, they've got nothing good about them. That's the very one that Jesus cares about. That's the one that He loves and the one that He wants to help and the one that He's there for. And you may feel like that person today and you say, well, preacher, nobody has ever cared for me. There is one that cares for you and His name is Jesus. He is the most compassionate one that there is. That's why He said, come unto Me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Not some of you, but all of you. All of you that are heavy and you're, you're broken down and you got all of these issues going on in your life. Jesus said, I want to take what is yours and I want to give you what is mine. Okay, I want, to, I want to make an exchange with you today. He's that kind of compassionate person. He is a man of compassion, but He's also a man of restoration. Here's a man that hadn't walked in 38 years, hadn't been able to get up. And Jesus tells him to get up and he restores. A man who thought, I have no strength, I have no ability, I can't do all of these things, but Jesus restored him with His Word. Can I say this morning that Jesus is still a man of restoration today. There's not one thing today that is too far gone for the Lord to put back together. There's not one thing that is too broken for the Lord to be able to pick up and piece it back together in that way. He is a man of restoration. You say, well preacher, our country is going downhill. Yeah, but it turn around and go uphill by the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, our church isn't doing well. Well, it can by the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, my life my testimony, my ministry, my marriage, my family, you name it today, and Jesus can restore it in some way. He is a man of restoration. There is nothing that is too great for the Lord to be able to restore. We could look back over all of the Bible, and we would see the Lord do thing after thing, time after time, event after event. 
do that which is impossible in the sight of man. And Jesus did it just like that. Just like that. He spoke. He spoke and He did that. He said, well, I sure wish I lived in the times where the Lord can speak. I'm glad that God still speaks today, aren't you? I'm glad that God can speak into the most lifeless situation and that God can speak in the most terrible situation and that God can speak to the most disappointed person and God can give hope to that person through His Word. He still speaks today. The question is, are we listening? You see, He's a man of compassion. He's a man of restoration, but He's also a man of authority. Look over, skip a few Scriptures with me. Go to verse number 17. The Jews wanted to know who healed this man on the Sabbath day. We'll get to that in a moment. And when the man finally realized who it was, that it was Jesus, they began to persecute him. They sought to slay him. Verse number 17, Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, notice this, making himself equal with God. There's a wonderful thing about Jesus. He's a man of compassion. He's a man of restoration. But friend, Jesus is a man of authority. And when Jesus walked on those streets in Jerusalem, Jesus wasn't another prophet that walked around and preached a good message. And Jesus wasn't another good man that had a, a good title and a good slogan and could do a few good things. But when Jesus walked the streets of Jerusalem in that day, Jesus was God in the flesh that day. And He had authority over all things. And He could do whatever it was that He needed to do. And it did not matter the natural law. And it did not matter what was going on. But Jesus could make it happen because He is and He was and He will always be a man of authority. He has all of the authority that there is. Friend, the man that was walking in the streets of Jerusalem that day among the multitude of people that were impotent was the very man that spoke the world into existence. He's the very one that holds the world in his hands because he is a man of authority. You say, well, I don't know if he could fix my problem. You know, I don't know if the Lord could help me in my situation. I want you to know this. Whatever you're under today, it's under the Lord, alright? And whatever is over you, it will never be over Him. He'll always have authority over that. He is God in the flesh. And here's the wonderful thing. You say, well, He's not with me today. I would beg to differ. You say, but He's not with me today. He's not walking. And that's something. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, you get together and you pray something in My name. He said, the Father will do that. You get together and you pray under that authority and you pray to the you pray up to up to the throne of grace and you go and you take your petitions and your requests by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, the same authority that made that man get up and walk, the same authority that caused Lazarus to walk out of the grave, the same authority that healed the nobleman's son. I'm praying to the Father in heaven by the same authority that Jesus was exercising on earth. Can I say that I think a lot of times when we pray we pray like we're speaking to a statue and we pray like we're just doing our little daily talk and our daily repetition words but when we pray we ought to believe it and we ought to pray like we're praying to the one who has authority over everything that there is you say well my family's got cancer and they said they're on hospice you know what God can do God can take the very cancer that has polluted their entire body and God can remove it and give those doctors something to be confused about because He has that kind of authority. He can take that life that has fallen apart and the devil said it's all mine and the devil's got you in His hands and you know what God can do? God can snatch you out of the devil's hand and it doesn't matter how tight of a grip He has because the power of God is greater than the power of the devil and it will always be He is a man 
of authority. He is a man of restoration and He is also a man of compassion. And when we consider this story, we look at this, we see that this man's life was about to change. This man's life was about to be totally different. I want you to look at the question that Jesus asked. When Jesus walked up, He saw him lying. Verse number 6. This man of compassion, this man of restoration, this man of authority approaches this man of desperation and this man of disappointment. And He does not say, well, why haven't you been made whole yet? Because He knows the answer to that, doesn't He? He knows why He hasn't been made whole. He doesn't even ask him, well, do you want to be made whole today? Look at the question. Wilt thou be made whole? You know what this question reminds us of when we look at it? is the ability and the authority is all there in the hands of Jesus. The question is not whether or not we can be. The question isn't do we want to be. The question this morning that we all must ask or answer is will we be made whole? Will we let God do something in our life today? Will we let God help us? Will we let God save us? Will we let God restore us? Because there are many of us that want it. And there are many of us that look around and we say, it would be great for God to do this in my life. But the question is, will you let Him? Will you let God do those things in your life? Will you let God work in your life? Will you let God make you whole? Or will you continue to refuse the work that God is wanting to do in your life? It is a choice that we must make on our own. And when we consider the command that He gave to Him, look at how Jesus responded when He asked Him that question. The impotent man didn't even answer. He said, sir, I've tried. I've tried to do it, okay? And nobody was there to help me. You know, Jesus didn't say, well, I'm sorry that nobody helped you. Jesus didn't say, well, maybe next time. Jesus just simply looked at the man. He said, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. You see, if you and I are going to be made whole today from whatever infirmity it might be in our life, whatever we might be dealing with in our life, whatever may be going on in your family, you're going to be made whole. Here's... Here's what we need to do. There are three things I want to share with you and I'll be done. If we're going to be made whole, here's the first thing. We must respond to the Lord with faith. If we're going to do that. Look at what he said. He said, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. For 38 years, this man has not been able to stand. For 38 years. I'm 28, alright? This man for 10 years longer than I've been alive today has had this infirmity. He hasn't been able to do any of those things. To that... Obviously, I'm about to say it. That's a lifetime all right, for me. It's more than a lifetime. All right, He's never been able to do this. Can you imagine the Lord saying, well, get up, rise. <laughs> you know what we would say? Lord, I hadn't been able to rise for 38 years and you're going to ask me to rise up? You're going to ask me to stand up and I've been laying on this bed for 38 years and I've not been... And you want me to stand up? I mean, he could have said that, but you know what he did? He just responded with faith and he got up and he rose. He trusted that this man has the ability to speak and give me the ability to stand up. And so he just responded with faith in the Word of God. And I'm afraid that this morning what we do most of the time is we come up with so many reasons as to why we cannot respond to God with faith. And we come up with all of these excuses and what God is asking from us today is to respond in faith. Listen, if you're lost here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, understand this, you are hell bound to a Christless hell that is full of suffering and torments and agony and grief and pain and regret and everything terrible that you can come up with this morning. Hell will be worse. And hell will be for eternity. And you say, well that is... Boy, that's discouraging. It sure is. But here's the wonderful thing. You know what the Lord's saying today? Take my hand. By faith. You can't do it on your own. 
And you can't get up on your own. And you can't get out of that on your own. You're dead in sins. But if you'll respond in faith today, the Lord will save you today as well. The Bible is extremely clear that salvation has never been, ever, all the way back to Adam, it has never been the result of man's good deeds. It has never been the result of man's religious activities. Salvation has always been the result of man simply trusting in the promise of God and what God was going to do through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, it was by faith looking forward. Today, it's by faith looking back. But it's all in the response of faith. I was thinking about that song that we were singing a minute ago, Since Jesus Came Into My Heart. And I think about every time I sing that song, I think about the actual process and you have to give me a minute but the actual process of the holy spirit of god just entering in to my spirit i mean little old levi is a nine-year-old boy that was lost and headed to hell and didn't know much about anything at all and still don't but that day the holy spirit of god just entered into me i couldn't see it with my eyes i didn't get to watch it on a, on a tv screen but boy i got to feel it and I'm glad this morning I still hadn't got over what happened that day when the Spirit came to live inside of me. And He changed me. And it was all because of this. Because I bowed my head and I put my trust and my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I responded with faith when He spoke to me. And I got saved that day. You know what I didn't know about? Brother J.C., I didn't know a thing you taught in Sunday school about church when I was nine years old. I probably thought church was a building when I was nine years old. I didn't have a clue what, was, what theology meant. I didn't know what any of those things meant, but I knew in that moment that Jesus came to save my soul and that He died on Calvary and that all that was expected of me in that moment was to respond with faith. Paul explained it when he said, In whom also you trusted after you heard the word of your salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You trusted. That's all you did. Is you heard the message and you believed and when you responded in faith, you were saved immediately that day. But can I say, Responding with faith is not only for the lost person today. It's true for the child of God as well. Listen, I got saved by faith when I was nine, but you know, God expects me to live by faith ever, all the way up until the day that I die. And it's still the answer. Faith is still the victory that we have. And there are many children of God today that are dealing with an infirmity in their life and they're dealing with a problem that is going on in their life and they want out of that, but they're not ready to trust the Lord yet. And they're not ready to respond with faith yet. John said it like this, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Here it is. Even our faith. It is not our personality. For know this, you can have the best personality there is today. You can be the funniest. You can be the best. You can be the nicest. You can do all those things. It's not going to help you overcome the world. You're not going to do it. You, can do it. you, may, you may win some, but you're going to lose some. But there's one that ain't ever lost, and that's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. From the day you got saved to the day that you die, faith will be the answer. And if we're going to overcome, if we're going to be made whole from whatever it is, whether we're saved or lost today, it will be because we respond with faith by with what the Lord tells us to do. The second thing is we must respond to the Lord with obedience. Notice this, that John makes clear as you read the Scripture. It says in verse number 9, On the same day was the Sabbath. Now we look at that. We say, "Well, that doesn't really matter to us. We don't. We don't practice that. The Sabbath, Saturday, seventh day. We're not. We're. You know, we're here on the Lord's day, and that's Old Testament things. Doesn't really bother us today. But here's the importance of that: the Jews took the law of God, and they added all of their own extra laws. Now, 
We don't do that today, right? You know, and uh, but they took the law and they added all these extra ideas that they had about. It. And one of those was this: you were not able to move your domain on the Sabbath. You say, well, there's no way I could move my domain. I live in a four-bedroom, three. Well, they lived on mats sometimes, all right? And that, that's what they had. They weren't even able or supposed to carry their bed on that day, according to the Jews, according to them, and the extra laws that they had added, they weren't supposed to do that. Well, when Jesus told this man to rise up and take up your bed, you think the man knew that? You think the man probably had an idea, hey, this is going to go against the law of man today if I pick up this bed. You know what he could have said? He could have said, well, Lord, how about this? I'll make you a deal. I'll leave that bed here today and I'll come back and get it tomorrow, okay? Because it's the Sabbath day and I don't want anybody to see me pick up my bed. And, and really, Lord, you know, it would, you know, it would be bad if they saw me do that. So I'm going to leave it here and I'll be back first thing in the morning and I'll get that bed and I'll do what you told me to do. That, that's what he could have done. And I'm afraid that's what many of us have done as well is we've come up with some reason to justify not responding with obedience to the Lord. And we wonder why, why as a believer am I still going through all of these things in my life? And it is because we have not responded with obedience to what God has called us to do. Friends, you cannot live. You cannot live in disobedience to God's Word and expect the blessings of God in your life. You cannot completely defy and disregard Him and expect that. Look at what He told him in verse number 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and He said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more. And look at this. Lest a worse thing come unto thee. Well, you thought being having an infirmity for 38 years was bad. He said, you keep, you, you keep going and living in sin and disobeying me. He said, it can get worse. And there's many Christians today that are living in disobedience and they're wondering, why is my life not together? Why is my life crushed? Why can't I ever get ahead of anything? Why can't I catch a break? Here's what Samuel spoke to the children of Israel. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord, look at this, be against you as it was your father's. Friend, you can be against me today, and you can hate me. There's one person I don't want to be against me, and that's the Lord. But if I disobey, and I refuse to obey Him, and I refuse to hearken, I refuse to listen, then what I am doing is I am asking the Lord, the hand of the Lord to come against me. I'm asking for it. I'm, I'm putting myself in that situation. And we must remember that to obey is better than to sacrifice. It is what God is interested in the most is our obedience when we listen and we respond to that. Whatever God is calling you to do, if you truly want to experience all that He can do, then you must respond with faith and you must respond with obedience. And here's the third and the last thing. We must respond to the Lord with confidence. You know, He said, rise. He said, pick up your bed. Can you imagine though when He said walk? For 38 years, He hasn't walked in that way. To begin to take those steps. You know what He would probably ask Himself? What if I fall? What if I trip? What, what, if, what if I stumble? What if my legs quit working? You say, he'd never think that. Really? You, you, go, you, you break something, go to therapy for a few weeks, and then get out there without your walker and see how much confidence you have in yourself. You're going to doubt your ability to be able to do that. You're going to want to hold on to that thing. But he would have to remember, I'm healed. I'm not the same anymore. I'm not lame anymore. I'm not crippled anymore. I don't live over there anymore. But He's healed me and He's made me different and He had to respond with confidence that God was able to do this through Him. I wonder how many people are missing out on all that God can do because of their lack of confidence. I wonder how God feels. I remember when our children, Darcy and Gracie, were learning how to 
how to walk and they couldn't get around. And boy, those were the days, you know. But I remember when they were trying to do that and they would they would crawl and they would do those things and they would come up to the pew or wherever it was and they would stand on that pew and they could walk down that pew. And I remember we'd sit in the living room and every now and then Darcy would stand up without anything. without any, And you know, Melody, she'd get the phone and I'd get the phone and we'd be like, this is it. You know, she's about to take a step. And you know what she'd do? Sit back down. And you you thought those were the days she's about to make that first step. And you were so proud. But you know what she liked? The confidence to do that. She liked the confidence. She didn't know if she could do it. But then when she finally began to take those steps, and maybe they were little, maybe they weren't big, and maybe she stumbled, but you watch her now. She can run around this church faster than all of you because she's learned how to do that. Friends, you may not be able to walk the best, but God healed you, and God gave you the ability. And if God told you to get up and walk, then you got every ability to get up and walk if you got the confidence in Him. If He's called you to preach, you know what you can do? You can preach. And if God's called you to sing, you know what you can do? You can sing. If it's to teach, you can teach. Whatever it is, if God said do it, then the ability to do it is there. If you have the confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ that He can do it to you. There are going to be days, Miss Cindy, as you sang about, when the devil is going to get in your ear and say, you can't do this and you can't do that and look at all that you've done and you're only going to fail and you can say, I've been saved all right and i'm no longer who i was and if you would have came to me 10 minutes ago i would have said you're right i can't walk but now that i've felt the touch of the lord i can do whatever god's called me to do and it doesn't matter what satan has to say about that because we have confidence not in who we are not in what we've done but in what the Lord has done in us and what the Lord has done through us and what God wants to use us. We've got to respond with confidence that God is able and God is capable. I want to share this last thought with you and I'll be done. I read this this week. A.W. Tozer said this, God is looking for people through whom He can do the impossible. What a pity that we only plan the things we can do by ourselves. How sad to live our life only planning to do those things that we are capable of in and of ourselves. Friend, let's include God in those plans and let God do the impossible. He wants to make you whole. He wants to save you if you're lost. But if you are saved, friend, He wants to restore you. And He wants to get you out of that place that you're in. And He wants you to walk for Him for all the world to see what He has done in your life and what He's doing through you. How will you respond to this compassionate, to this man of restoration, and to this man of authority this morning. I want to ask you to stand with me as we have a verse of invitation. Heavenly Father, we are indeed thankful of all that you have done for us, Lord. That as you have passed by and you've, you've done all of these things that you have met with us here today, Lord, in this place. And I pray, Lord, that as you have spoken, that our hearts have been receptive. And that whatever it is you have called us to do, Lord, that we would respond accordingly this morning. And Lord, I pray, Lord, with everything that I have and all that I know how to, Lord, that if there's somebody today that's lost and doesn't know you, Father, that your Holy Spirit would convict and draw them today that they would realize, Lord, that hell is their eternity without you. And Lord, they would realize it's not a joke, but Father, today it would become so real that they would get down and call on your Son, Jesus Christ, to be their Savior, to respond in faith. And Lord, they'd be saved today. Those of us that are saved, Lord, work on us this song or work on us this afternoon. Help us, Lord, to draw closer to you. And Lord, leave this place walking with confidence in you. Lord, that you can do great things in our lives. We love you. We thank you. We pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing.